facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Friday, September the 22nd, 2023. So happy that you're with me on the program. We're going to kick off the weekend in style, and you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. You can also find me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And the email address for the show, it's great to hear from you guys, show ideas. Always welcoming new shadow producers into the fold. You can send me your show idea, questions, comments, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. But once again, that number to call right now to get in on this hour is 888-914-9149. I'll tell you what, all you guys probably have plans to go to the movies the weekend. Not sure if you do or not. Maybe you're just going to kick back at home, relax with the family and with some friends, maybe. Do you know that I, I was actually... I couldn't believe this, but it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. There's no denying the time frame here. It's been 50 years since the Exorcist movie came out in 1973. Yeah, there's the theme. And believe it or not, the director of The Exorcist passed away about a month ago. About a month ago. And this is William Friedkin. Pretty intense director. And um, I'll tell you more about him in just a second. But he passed away at the age of 87. Growing up, he was kind of a secular Jew. Okay, Patrick, that's, that's good. You <laughs> faded out there. Um, so when he died at the age of 87, about a month ago, it was actually reported that he, quote-unquote, now strongly believed in the teachings of Jesus. And you have to wonder whether his experience working on The Exorcist maybe changed his mind about faith, because going into it, he certainly did not believe in this stuff. He certainly didn't have a supernatural Worldview. There's a really interesting article up on the ncregister.com website, National Catholic Register, by K.V. Turley about the film, kind of an analysis of the Exorcist film. And, and he talks about, this is a really interesting point about how prophetic cinema can be, how films can, of, can often prophesy things that are going to happen in the real world as it is. Uh, and so here, here are a few examples of this. We were talking about this uh, prior to the show. Patrick Alex sitting in for Jim Shaper today producing. Think about all the films that when people first saw them, when they first came out, people said, there's no way this is ever going to happen in the real world. But lo and behold, we now have the technology. Think, think about it, even in Star Wars. And I know, I know, it, it takes place on fictional planets. But Star Wars came out just a few years after The Exorcist in 1977. Remember their hologram technology? Oh, there's Princess Leia talking to us in a hologram. Well, we now have that, right? Remember the famous Michael Jackson hologram concert that happened recently? Bringing back famous artists back from the dead, if you will, as holograms. We now have this, for real. What about 1990, the movie Dick Tracy starring Warren Beatty? Remember his smartphone watch? Well, guess what we have now? We have Apple Watches, all kinds of smartwatch technology. That has become real as well. 1990s. 1998 was kind of a banner year for predicting future trends. You've Got Mail. Remember that? Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. 1998. Now, what about online dating? That is pretty ubiquitous these days. So that was kind of a predictor of a trend. In that same year, 1998, The Truman Show with Jim Carrey came out, kind of foreshadowing 
reality TV, maybe the worst of reality TV, where you're just constantly watching people live their lives like a big brother type of deal. Um, but one, one, one thing that Patrick Alog mentioned to me, which, which I had forgotten about, Back to the Future Part 2. Not only did, by the way, we didn't, we didn't mention this, Patrick, when we were chatting, but Back to the Future Part 2 kind of predicted FaceTime technology. I don't know if you remember that. But you can, you can, you can hop on here, uh, here for a second, pa- Patrick. What's the other major event that Back to the Future 2 predicted? Say that again, Kale. Uh, I said, what's the, what's the other major event, other than predicting FaceTime, that Back to the Future Part 2 predicted? Oh, uh, it predicted the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. That's right. That's right. But they were off by one year. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> they, they predicted that the Cubs would win in 2015. It actually happened, of course, in 2016, their first world championship since 1908. So how about that? But this is this is the one that kind of I think is eerily was eerily predictive. Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Remember that in two thousand and two, the surveillance state. And think about like your phone, your computer tracking your habits. You have a conversation with someone, and oh, all of a sudden you have an ad. Oh, I'm thinking about buying this product, and all of a sudden you've got an ad for that product uh, in your inbox. How did that happen? Computer interfaces uh, that you can move around with your hands in, in space. Has anybody seen the Vision Pro? The new it's not it hasn't been released yet by Apple. <laughs> we are we're really there. So Blade Runner 1982 predicted digital billboards. They're all over the place. So sometimes life imitates art. There's no question about that. And that was uh, kind of I think true in in a in an unfortunate way, when it comes to The Exorcist, because The Exorcist movie, of course, which came out in 1973, in many ways foreshadowed, I think, the just, just a major demonic onslaught, what John Paul II called the culture of death. I mean, it just, it just kept getting worse and worse, because what happened in 1973, also the same year the movie was released, Roe versus Wade. All of a sudden, abortion was a reality in America, and and how many lives have been lost since then? Oh, thank God, the Supreme Court decision of recent times has has curtailed that. Um, certainly, uh, it's been thrown back to the states now. There's no question about that. But the timing is really interesting, and so I, I find it intriguing, uh, really intriguing. So in this piece, um, and we'll put a, a link to it in the show notes by KB Turley. Uh, he mentions that. The Exorcist really wasn't, by Hollywood standards, it wasn't supposed to be a successful movie. And what's 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 also true is that the director of The Exorcist, who just passed away, William Friedkin, just two years before that, 1971, he had a major box office success. He was actually named Best Director, and the film won, won a whole bunch of other awards for The French Connection. And by the way, that's still an incredible movie to this day. If you haven't seen that movie with Gene Hackman, The French Connection, it is awesome. It's an awesome flick. Great, great car chase sequence, uh, one of the best ever filmed. So that he, he was getting a lot of accolades for that film, and then two years later he comes out with The Exorcist, and everybody thought this movie's going to flop. I think, obviously, The Exorcist has probably been more culturally, more of a phenomenon in every possible way than The French Connection was. I, I don't think that's that's even in question. But but to me, it's, it's kind of unsurprising, because people, I, I always find people are really, really interested in movies like this, in movies about the supernatural, especially about exorcisms. It's not just the exorcist. Think about 
The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Right, starring Anthony Hopkins. I think that came out in 2008, I want to say. I could be wrong about that. But, but these movies come out from time to time. And people are always intrigued by this. And so, I, I, this is based, by the way, um, on, a, on a novel that, was, that came out in 1971 um, when, when, when we were talking about The Exorcist here. And it, it follows two priests, um, one of whom is kind of a quintessential 1970s priest. I hate to, uh, to use general labels, but uh, Father Damien Karras, who's played by Jason Miller, is a Jesuit priest who seems like he has lost his faith for all intents and purposes. He's questioning church teachings. He's questioning his own vocation. And his partner in this exorcism, and of course there's, there's a child, a young girl, who is possessed, is Father Lancaster Marin, who's played by Max von Sydow. Is it von Sydow or von Sydow? I don't know. You can correct me on that, Mr. A-Log. Mr. I think it's He's, von Sydow. Von Sydow. Okay, he, he also passed away recently. He is an older priest, but he knows very well the reality of the demonic. He knows tradition. He knows scripture. And as they're, as they're doing this exorcism, they're about to do this exorcism in Washington, D.C. The two priests are getting ready. They're, they're kind of putting on their vestments. Here's a clip from the film. Check this out. Especially important is the warning to avoid conversations with it even. We may ask what is relevant, but anything beyond that is dangerous. He's a liar. The demon is a liar. He will like to confuse us. But he will also mix lies with the truth to attack us. The attack is psychological, Damien, and powerful. So don't listen. Remember that. Do not listen. I think it might be helpful if I gave you some background on the different personalities Reagan has manifested. So far, I'd say there seem to be three. She's convinced that There's she's... only one. Okay, so that that's a, a powerful scene as the two priests and and obviously Max von Sydow is is playing the older priest who certainly believes in the reality of the supernatural, Father Marin, the reality of the Satan, and it's so interesting because we, we live in a world that very often a lot of people do question the reality of the devil. And there's another film that I really like called The Usual Suspects, and one of the best lines in that movie is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. He's got you right where he wants you. And as um, Father Lancaster men mentioned, and as he's talking to the other priest, Father Damien there, the devil's a liar. He's going he's gonna to try to throw all things at you to try to confuse you. Don't listen. Don't listen to him. And that's obviously what Christ said as well in the Gospel of John and in this piece uh, in in the National Catholic Register, KB Turley talks about the timing also of the of the release of the Exorcist film fifty years ago was interesting because it was kind of in the wake of the Second Vatican Council and there were priests like Father Damien who were kind of questioning many things. Many priests abandoned their their vocations at that time, and many questioned whether the the devil was really real. Um, you didn't hear a lot of talk. You didn't hear a lot of hom homilies about the natural world. And so the timing of this coming out in Hollywood 
a film that nobody thought was going to succeed. The success of this film was was really uh, unexpected, and it got a lot of people thinking. And it certainly got the director William Friedkin thinking. And he eventually, if we're to believe reports, before he died, he started to take the, the teachings of Christ seriously. Let's pray that he turned his life, his very soul, over to Christ uh, before he breathed his last. It's also interesting, too, that in the film, it centers on a mother and her possessed daughter, a, a mother and a child. And here's what K.V. Turley writes. He says, in this movie, the plan of the evil one is clearly delineated. The child is who was under attack to denigrate, to degrade, and ultimately to destroy the mother and child presented in the films. And he kind of compares this to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, because that's exactly what we see happening in Revelation chapter 12. The devil tries to attack, of course, our Lord and our Lady. It's the woman with child. And, and so, and I, I understand that people have, have very often questioned who the woman is who is attacked by the dragon along with her child. Some people say, well, it's, it's not really Mary, it's, it's Israel, or, or maybe it's the church. Well, literally speaking, it can only be Mary, but, but it's all three, because Pope Benedict used to talk about this as well, as Cardinal Ratzinger, he said, this is daughter Zion, and Mary's the perfect Israelite. She's the perfect Israelite woman. Here's what it says. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. So the woman, yeah, Mary is also, by the way, the church at the source. She's the first member of the church. You can't forget that either. And, and also Pope Benedict, writing as Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote another book called Mary the Church at the Source. So yeah, she's the perfect Israelite woman. She's the model Israelite. She's also the first member of the church, but she is literally the mother of the child. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 5. She brought forth a male, a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1,200 years. In 60 days. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. And so, a war in heaven breaks out here in Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels. And that's, of course, St. Michael the archangel. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So this is super intriguing, and it's also interesting just on a local level for me, because uh, I live in the Archdiocese of Toronto in Canada, and the patron saint of the Archdiocese of Toronto is St. Michael the Archangel, and our new Archbishop, Bishop Frank Leo, Archbishop Frank Leo, has said, I want everybody 
to be praying the Novena to St. Michael the Archangel. It's actually day two because uh, the feast day of the Archangels, St. Michael, St. Raphael, St. Gabriel is coming up on the 29th. And so this is a great time to do this. And so he said everybody in every parish praying this Novena after daily Mass. And, and we do need uh, to have protection over, over these spiritual forces of darkness. So it's, it's really interesting. So th- this idea that uh, K.B. Turley brings up in his article is that this movie was strangely prophetic, and, and movies can predict things that are going to happen in the future, whether it's technological trends. It's funny how that works. And the exorcist, the, the reality of the demonic, kind of, if you will, prophesied the, the darkness that was going to fall over the land in, in, the terms of, in terms of this holocaust of abortion that started in 1973 with Roe versus Wade. So here, here's a question for you guys as listeners to the show, 888 if that's the case, if entertainment can kind of prophesy things are going to really happen, what do you think today's entertainment is saying about what's going to happen now and in the future? That's an interesting question to ask. Based on what we're seeing out there, what kind of things are going to happen? How is it prophesying what's about to take place for good or for ill? I don't know. There might be a connection, 888 So we're going to come back with your phone calls in just a minute plus some advice on how to spiritually protect yourself and your family from demonic attacks. It's not something something that you need to be aware of, but not necessarily worried about. There are things that you can do to help yourself and those you love. Be right back. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show, 888 9149 I miss Huey Lewis in the news. They're a great band in the 80s. Well, I'll tell you what, we went kind of back in time, 50 years in the first segment. It's the 50th anniversary this year of the release of The Exorcist in 1973. And tragically, uh, in 1973, also Roe versus Wade, Wade, Roe vs. Wade became a reality, ushering in a generation of genocide really in the form of abortion and so sometimes sometimes media can predict trends they can they can portend things that are going to happen uh, for good or for ill we talked about that as well minority report e- even back to the future part two predicting the cubs winning the world series <laughs> pretty close it was off by only a year what what trends for good or for ill do you think modern entertainment films are portending Today, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Jennifer in Los Angeles. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, I believe the trends are showing that it's going to be a normalization of Satanism, especially uh, in the media entertainment industry. It just shows. That it seems like they're trying to adapt and um, normalize that that um, culture of death and Satan, make it normal. Mm, that's um, an interesting point. I. Yes, I just have a personal story about the exorcism. That's what compelled me to call in. When I was eight years old, uh, my neighbor 
Uh, she was an adult. She was a Satanist. I didn't know that at the time, of course. She, she took me into her home, sat me down, and had me watch The Exorcist. After that, she gave me about a two-hour, you know, I don't know how many hours it was, seemed a long time, about Satanism and all the things that, you know, that entails. So to say, to make a long story short, um, I became an atheist. My brother became a, a Satanist when we were teenagers. And um, I've had dark shadows come visit me. Um, I just want this to be a testimony of my faith, however. I have yes. been incarcerated. I was addicted to meth for over 20 years. Uh, my parents are lost. They're, they're not. So I stand alone in my faith. The detention ministry saved me when I was incarcerated. I am now, um, I've been clean for over 10 years. I have a master's degree in criminology law society. Wow. I'm an advocate for fairness within the criminal justice system. I'm a legion of Mary. I go to inside the jails to serve communion and to give back to those that were given, that was given to me. And I just want everyone to know that the, you know, of course we all know that the devil is real. However, it cannot hold anybody down. It never helped me down. So I walk every day in strength of my faith, and I'm so proud of it. And um, um, and I just um, thought I would share that story. This when you said the exorcism, it brought me back to my childhood. Um, oh, but, Jennifer. And I also, want to have yes. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, you go. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if anybody ever um, struggles or has experiences with. Um, Things that they can't explain that are very negative. Just pray, and it will go away. It did for me. Oh. Jennifer, th- thank you so much for sharing your testimony, and praise God for for how you were set free. And you've been through a, an awful lot, and uh, that, that's a great story of hope, a real miracle moment. And I'll tell you what, we're going to be sharing in just a few moments things that you can do to protect yourself from these demonic influences. And one of the things that Jennifer said was that shows about it's becoming more mainstream even in entertainment shows about the devil there's actually a show called lucifer uh there's a show called the chilling adventures of sabrina which aired from 2018 to 2020 uh there's one called fallen that was back in the in the aughts 2006 2007 there's a show called salem you might have heard of that 2014 to 2017 so so this is becoming very widespread and very mainstream it's it's not in the shadows at all anymore um Satan conventions, you probably heard about that. There was some chatter about that a few months ago and people praying about that uh, and, and Christians gathering outside of these conferences that, that they might be uh, nullified and shut down. And so we, we really have to be aware of how blatant some of this stuff is in the culture. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Let's go to Sam. Sam, welcome back in Coolidge, Georgia. Good to have you back, my friend. Thank you, Kale. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question. Do you sure. think that a very, very evil person could be evil without diabolical influence? Oh, I, I think you know we can't blame everything. People want to say the devil made me do it. We we can't we can't blame everything on the devil too, right? We have our own. Uh, sinful tendencies. This even after we've been baptized, we have something called concupiscence, which is kind of a five-dollar theological word, which means that we tend to be drawn towards sin, and it's 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 something we have to fight against on purpose. And so, yeah, I suppose if you're kind of if someone's bent towards evil, 
and keep pursuing it, you know, I'm sure the, the enemy is quite happy about that. Uh, having said that, let, let's now get into uh, some of the ways that we can kind of fight against these things, protect ourselves. Because when we hear about exorcisms, when we hear about demonic possessions, and they certainly do still happen today, we we tend to get very afraid about this. And uh, there was kind of a companion piece uh, in this story about the exorcist um, uh, that the Register posted as well. And it's kind of an interview with a woman named Kathleen Beckman, who is actually an assistant to an exorcist. And so every every diocese is supposed to have an exorcist on staff. And again, they don't give out this person's name and phone number and personal bio on LinkedIn because they'd be inundated with calls all the time. And uh, because again, people find this interesting and people, there are a lot of people out there who, who need spiritual help and sometimes psychological help as well. And so she's been kind of an assistant to an exorcist, and she's taken courses uh, in Rome at the Pontifical Regina Apostolorum on uh, exorcists and exorcism. Um, and she's written books as, as well about, about spiritual warfare. And so she talks about how you can be a, a spiritual warrior, if you will, how you can help yourself and your family members secure your home, and as she says, keep it off limits to demonic activity. So there, there are a few things that she said in this interview about about how you can do exactly that. So, all right. The first thing that she says, obviously, and it should be obvious, is that what we need to do, first of all, is make sure that we're really, really close to the sacraments. Because one of the things that she says when in the in, in the cases that she's been in contact with, um, if it's if it's affected a Catholic person, it's it's very often true that this person has stopped frequenting the sacraments, has stopped going to Sunday Mass, has stopped praying. You, you put yourself in a really vulnerable position there. And then the second thing that she says is really really common is religious syncretism. And this is kind of mixing Catholicism with all kinds of other practices, maybe elements of other religions, maybe culturally. A lot of cultures have, have some spiritual baggage which may not be of God, and, and just cultural practices that, that kind of are in the mix, um, superstitions that, that are not compatible with the Catholic faith. The third thing she says that she sees is people in... Um, Irregular habitation uh, situations, let's put it that way. I'm talking about cohabitation, people living with someone who's not their spouse, or perhaps um, somebody in, a, in an adulterous relationship, something like that. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, people getting involved in the occult, Ouija boards, that sort of thing. Sometimes music, sometimes certain media can predispose people to certain messages. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Pre Peter Kraft always says that people have their guard down really at two times, when they're listening to music and when they're laughing. Because when you're laughing, you're in a good mood. And so think about messages that can slip through, through comedy, through entertainment, I guess you could say, but also through music. I, I am always shocked and a little bit scared how quickly kids can memorize song lyrics. Um, man, asking homework to get done is a different different chore. But 
But there's something about music and lyrics that, that make things very catchy, very repeatable, very memorable. And so a lot of, a lot of messages can get through the ear gate, the eye gate, obviously. Um, We've got to be careful about what we're letting in there. And then the last thing that she says is a lot of people, they're kind of walking around. They're kind of like the walking wounded. They have wounds from sins that are very, very serious, and they haven't repented of these sins. They keep committing them, or they, they haven't confessed them. Um, infidelity in marriages, we talked about that. Some people have tragically um, committed. They've had, Some women have had abortions, and more than one, and they, they haven't sought spiritual healing for this. Abuse. Sometimes when people uh, suffer sexual, physical abuse, um, and even sometimes emotional abuse that can happen at home or, or at work, the, these, are, these are kind of putting people in a susceptible position when it comes to these spiritual attacks. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 So how do you protect yourself? What are some of the uh, ways that you can put on some armor here? Well, I think obviously in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul does talk about putting on the armor of God. And I love how he does this because one of my favorite movies, speaking of movies of all time, is the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. And I heard there's going to be a Gladiator too. I, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's going to be a mistake. Not all sequels are good, but uh, sometimes they are. Sometimes they're better. The Godfather 2 is probably better than the original. Um, having said that, The Dark Knight, that's another another great sequel. But in his letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. I'm just going to read this quick passage. We're all familiar with it. We've heard this a lot, of course, uh, mass readings, our own scripture reading on our own. A while back, we did a series on Ephesians for the Faith Explained show. And in chapter 6, uh, this is what he says here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist. And, and really, when he says the belt of truth around your waist, he, he's really talking about your loins. And uh, I hope I don't have to be too more, much more explosive about where are your loins. Uh, this part of the body, below the belt, if you will, this is where people are not very often obedient to the Word of God and with devastating consequences in their lives. So we need the truth. We need theology of the body about human relationships, human sexuality. Then it goes on to say, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace, besides all these, taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so this idea of put up the shield of, of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. In, that, in the movie Gladiator, that opening scene, when Maximus, Russell Crowe, is leading the Roman armies, the legions against the barbarians, that's how they're attacking the, the Roman legions with these flaming arrows that they shoot up into the air and they're coming down on the army and they all put up their shields and block it. Uh, it's such a great image. And so Paul is, is definitely using 
things that he's seen every day in the Roman Empire. And uh, it's it was a great image that he used there for sure. So, so what can we do to protect ourselves? Well, we'll put on that armor of God for sure. Uh, but the other thing that we can do is live a sacramental life. And that, that's really how we, we, we need Christ fighting the battle within us. Receive the blessed sacrament daily if possible. Go to confession regularly. Don't, don't deny that. And, and one of the things that <laughs> this assistant exorcist said was that these things are actually more powerful than the rite of exorcism. Because don't, don't forget, it's not a sacrament, it's a sacramental. The rite of exorcism is extremely powerful, but the sacraments, we've got the power of Christ himself, especially in the Eucharist, because it is Christ himself. So the rosary as well. And, and she says, and we've all heard this, and we've seen this in exorcism movies, and um, maybe heard about this uh, anecdotally. I remember Gabriel, Father Gabriel Morth, an exorcist tells a story. That's a powerful book. And then he had more stories from an exorcist, both published by Ignatius Press. The rosary is such an incredible weapon. Padre Pio used to say that all the time. Where's my weapon? Where's my weapon? And this, this, some, and her name again is, um, ah, this escapes me, but I'll find it. Um, but she says that when they've done exorcisms, the, the demons will, will shriek because when the rosary beads are pulled out, they'll say, stop those beads, get rid of them, get, get them away from me. They torment us. They torment us. So sacramental life, prayer, the rosary, keeping close to God is, is really, really important. As Peter says in the New Testament, hey, if you draw near to God, resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. Um, so, so do that. Understand that Christ is far more powerful. 888-914-9149. Let's go now back to the phones. Let's go to Mariana in Texas. Hi, Mariana. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Sure can. Yep. You're on the air and I can hear you loud and clear. Sure. Thank you. I just wanted to ask, uh, you just mentioned that we shouldn't get into the practice of, say, uh, religious syncretism, right? Mm -hmm. Would Dia de los Muertos count as that? Because they, I know it includes sort of like the belief that our, the souls of our past loved ones come back and visit us. Is that yeah, something that we as Catholics can believe or celebrate? That that's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, the the Mexican Day of the Dead festival. That's what you're referring to. Um, yes, I'm I'm not an ex an expert on that. I remember reading about this, and I don't have that information at, at my fingertips. That that might be Mariana, an, uh, an example of maybe some syncretism happening a little bit. Certainly at uh, at a popular level. My understanding is that this was in a certain sense. Uh, meant to be somewhat like Halloween, like All Hallows' Eve, if you will, the the day before All Saints' Day, All Hallows, All Saints' Eve. And so this idea of people dressing up in macabre uh, outfits, skeletons, death uh, being a theme, it's the idea that Christ has defeated death. We don't need to, to be worried about these things. In fact, we can kind of make a mockery of them. It's kind of making sport of death. As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is thy sting? The resurrection has defeated all these things. So in terms of the, the ancestor stuff, I mean, clearly, I mean, if we're praying for the repose of the souls of our ancestors, that, that's one thing. Um, uh, trying to in, in, invoke their spirits to come, oof, I, I don't know, that, that might be... I wouldn't want to make a comment about that, but certainly we do need to pray for the repose of their souls. If they're in heaven already, 
great. God will redirect that prayer to a soul in purgatory who truly, truly needs it. But I think it would be a great episode for a future show. I have to do some more research on that. Hey, Halloween is coming up, right? Uh, we're all, and I'm sure if you're, if you're out shopping, there are probably Halloween displays all over the place already. I think it's much too soon. But, but there you go. Thank you so much for the call, Mariana. We've got to take a quick break right now on The Kale Clark Show, but we will be right back. 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. That's the theme song Friday Night Lights. It was a book. It was a movie. That was a TV show. Fantastic TV show. If you get a chance to watch one of my favorites of all time. Texas high school football. And hey, it is Friday night. There's going to be some Friday Night Lights turned on tonight. And Patrick Alog, you were you were recently in Texas. You got to go to one of these high school games. What was it like? Yeah, it was a pretty uh, interesting experience. You know, hearing about Friday Night Lights for years, I just wanted to see what it's like. My friends are like, hey, you want to watch a football game? The friends I was staying with, I was like, sure. And it's just... Interesting seeing people just come into the game, even like even during the second quarter. Now it's been a while since mm. I've watched any high school football game in person, but just just the atmosphere was awesome. Oh yeah, I, I can absolutely imagine that. I, I I'd love to go to a Texas high school football game. It's amazing. So Friday night lights, that's going to happen tonight. There'll be lots of games all across the great state of Texas and all over the country, really. And the other thing that happens on Fridays, especially on this program, is we want to review the week. Here's some of the highlights, the best of the Kale Clark Show on the week that was. Let's roll it. Catholics have a hard time wrapping their minds around the idea that, yes, I am called to become a saint. One of the beautiful things is that every saint is different. Um, You know, there's this quote, uh, I forget where it's from, but they said, the holiness is a secret between you and God. Meaning that the way Kale Clark is going to be holy, the way I'm going to be holy are very different. Earlier this week on the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio, we had one of the most powerful moments in our network's history. Alicia from the Chicagoland area called in to Patrick Madrid's show. She was literally on the way to get abortion pills to kill her unborn child. Let me ask you this, Patrick. What goes through your mind when you get a call like this? I imagine you start praying right away. I did. In fact, um, I communicated that message to my team to say, please pray for me because I knew as she began talking, that this was going to be a momentous conversation in her life and in the life of that unborn child. Let's not stop praying because, you know, we don't know the future. The opposition, if given half the chance, will try to convince her otherwise. So my continued prayer is for her to remain strong and to be surrounded by people who will support her decision to give her child life. And that that's what will happen. So here's what Dr. Sam Parnia says from NYU. He says, they would measure brain activity every two or three minutes, and then the doctors would have to stop their doing their chest compressions, stop giving electric shocks, to try to see if the patient's heart would, would start again. So they, he said there was, quote, there was no movement. It was a silence. That's when we would take measurements to see what's happening. We found that the brains of people who are going through death have flat lines, which is what you would expect. But interestingly, even up to an hour into the resuscitation, we saw spikes. 
the emergence of brain electrical activity, the same kind of activity as you would have when you're talking or deeply concentrating, end of quote. That's intriguing. What kind of an advantage is it to read the New Testament through Jewish eyes? I liken it to this in a way. One year before the Super Bowl, I went out and bought a high-definition television, and everyone told me it's going to change the way you see the game. And I'm like, this isn't that great. I don't know what everyone's <laughs> making such a fuss over. And then towards the end of the game, as I'm flipping through the channels during a commercial, I have a revelation. And that is I watched the whole game in standard definition because the higher channels were the high definition channels and I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> but when I saw it in high definition, I'm like, wow, this really does make a difference. And so having a Jewish background, this is what we do in Science and Secrets of Messiah and the other books that we've written, is we want to help people see how the details connect, how the old and the new connect, so it comes to life in a new and fresh way and they see it in high definition in HD. That's a great analogy by Rabbi Jason Sobel, who is my guest this week. Hey, if you missed any of the episodes of The Kale Clark Show, you can check them out on the Relevant Radio app and on the Relevant Radio website. You can stream them. You can share them with a friend. It's a great way to get the word out about our network. Appreciate Jim Shaper putting that together for me. Uh, he's out today. Patrick Alog sitting in for him alongside me today on the kale clark show let's go to the phones right now let's go to kathy in secaucus new jersey that's where the nba draft lottery usually happens hey kathy it's good to have you with me it's great to be here thank you for taking my call you're kale. welcome uh, i have i have a question my my brother died last year tragically suddenly to a heart attack and um, so he was religious all his life he loved the blessed mother but um at the end, um, I believe he may have had some kind of curse on him. Uh, I don't know. He was doing like uh, the ghost machine on, a, uh, you know, just to, for, and he thought it was amusement or whatever. Okay. okay. So he started developing bipolar issues, mm. which he never had in his life. And mm. and when he when he collapsed, my sister-in-law called us. We said the rosary for him. And, mm. and I've always regretted not saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, because that's what you're supposed to say for the dying, but I didn't know he was going to die. But here he was mm. devoted to the Blessed Mother and to God and went to church every Sunday before that. You know, I, I don't know how serious that ghost machine thing is, and, and I'm worried about the soul. Um, I, I just want to know, was, was the rosary as good as the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Because he did die. You know, yeah. and we said, well, we were saying it before when he had the bipolar. We were saying the divine mercy and the rosary for him every night, my husband and I. Okay, well, yeah, so, I mean, Kathy, first of all, thank you for calling, and I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. Uh, may he rest in peace, and I'm going to ask all of our listeners to uh, say a prayer for him as well. In terms of your question, is it okay to say the rosary instead of the divine mercy chaplet? Hey, I think I think all prayer is good, and and obviously the, the the greatest thing we can do for him and for the faithful departed is to offer the Mass for them. That's the greatest, most powerful prayer of the Church. Offering Masses for those who have passed is obviously a common practice. And then in terms of prayer, I mean, the Rosary is extremely powerful, as, we, as we've heard just a few moments ago. And Pope John Paul II always used to say that outside of the Mass, the Rosary is my favorite prayer. And, and we can't discount also the Divine Mercy Chapel. The great, the great thing about being Catholic, it's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and, right? 
We have scripture and tradition. We have Jesus. We worship Jesus. We also, of course, honor our blessed mother. And we've got the Divine Mercy Chaplet. We've got the rosary. I think our Lord Lord is pleased with it all. And so, yeah, keep praying for his repose. And uh, don't don't worry too much about, you know, am I doing it right? I think sometimes um, those discouraging thoughts uh, can, can creep in, but don't let that happen, okay? So the best thing you can do now is just keep praying for him uh, if possible. Uh, I'm sure you have done that. Offer a Mass for him, and uh, and I'll, I'll keep him uh, in my prayer as well. I'll pray for his repose. So thanks so much for calling in, Kathy. Really, really appreciate that. Well, we mentioned football just just a moment ago, and um, I, I wanted to actually share something that was that was really intriguing. I, I like things that are really kind of simple and easy and actionable in certain ways. And you might recall a, a great guest that we had just a few days ago on the show, Dr. Brian Donahue. Dr. Donahue talked about how to keep yourself healthy, how to how to get in in a in a place where you're eating well, uh, you're exercising adequately, you're just kind of taking care of the body that God has given you. So if you missed that episode with Dr. Donahue, you're going to want to check it out on the archives of the Kale Clark Show on the Relevant Radio app. But I read a really interesting piece um, about uh, this guy named Mike Minnis. And Mike Minnis used to work for several National Football League teams as a nutritionist. And these guys' nutrition is, is top-notch because... Uh, being in shape is really their job. It can seem complicated for the rest of us, though. So I really like what he's done here. He's boiled it down to three key principles. These are the three things. If you just do these three things, and everybody can start with this, it's super actionable. You can really get on the right track. He's like, you've got to do, first of all, you've got to really take care of your energy intake. This is something that most people wouldn't really think about. Your energy intake how much protein you're consuming, and fiber. Fiber is the other thing that's really, really important. So we can often be overwhelmed. And Dr. Donahue talked about this when he was on the program. There's so much advice that's out there, especially on the Internet. And a lot of it is in conflict with with other people's advice. A lot of it's quite confusing. And you can literally find any guru to back up almost any health claim that you can possibly think of. You can find evidence for your theory out there. So here, here are the three things that, that Mike Minnis, a nutritionist for NFL teams, helps athletes. He can help you and I as well to get healthy and stay that way. He says there's really three things we need to focus on first of all. Number one, you've got to understand the concept of energy balance. So that, that just simply means that we're consuming calories. We're also burning calories. We know that. And if we want to lose weight, we have to be in a caloric deficit. We've clearly got to uh, burn more calories than, than we're eating. So there's, there's more to weight loss than that. There's more to weight loss than, than eating less and trying to move more. But it's important to understand this concept because people often worry about eating too much. But as he says, if you eat too little, that can also be a problem. If you're trying to lose weight, you have to factor in how much energy you need. He says, quote, eating too much can lead to visceral fat, that internal fat, which has been shown to lead to metabolic dysfunction, a whole cascade of issues. This is the sort of beer belly, if you will. And and I may or may not have a tad of that on the go. I'm trying to get rid of it. That, That kind of fat, that visceral fat, is a real stressor on the body and it can raise cortisol levels. That's the stress hormone. And that is really, if you're 
constantly under stress and there's a lot of cortisol flowing through your body can be really, really harmful. But on the other side of the coin, if you're not consuming enough calories, then you're going to lose muscle mass. You're going to get tired and you're also at increased risk of injury. So that, that can be stressful in itself as well. So he basically says, look, before you worry about whether you're eating enough organic food, whether you're, you're having the right supplements or whether there's too much artificial stuff in what you're eating, the number one thing you need to work on is whether you're eating the right amount calorie-wise for your body, for your activity levels. So stay, stay with your nutritious diet. He says quality is important, but it's not nearly as important as quantity, how much. So a simple example, if your calorie budget is 2,000 a day, 2,000 calories, and you're eating 2,500 calories, it doesn't matter if you're eating only chicken, broccoli, and rice, you're still going to gain weight because you're, you're taking in more than you're burning. And you can lose weight eating less nutrient-dense foods while you're in a calorie deficit, but he doesn't really recommend that. Anyway, so the second thing he, wa he wants to tell us is eat more protein. Even if you're not an athlete, you might not be lifting weights. You might not be working out, but you still need protein. He says, eat, here's a simple rule. Eat one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if you weigh 200, eat 200 grams of protein. And most people aren't hitting that amount, one gram of protein per body weight daily. So even if you're not trying to bulk up, if you will, um, if you're just trying to maintain what you've got, your muscle mass starts to decrease as you get older. So you got to eat more protein, um, get your muscles going. Uh, and and, and you know, the last one, the more muscle you have, it also improves your metabolism. It's faster. You can process things faster. You, you, you don't keep on the weight. Protein also makes you feel really, really full for longer. And it uses more calories when you digest. And that helps to burn weight as well. Anyway, so the last thing he says, eat fiber. Um, that's really important because uh, fiber, he says, is the great equalizer of quality. So you know, maybe your diet's not that great. If, you ha if you're having enough fiber, it'll help to kind of counteract that. Good digestive health, good gut health. Grains, legumes, beans, chickpeas, fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds. I guess he could have uh, thrown in all bran as well. So th that can help, especially if you, if you do tend to eat too much ultra-processed food. So I'll put a link to this article in the show, note, show notes. I thought it was really good, really actionable as well. So there you have it. That is some great advice by NFL nutritionist Mike Minnis. He's got more than a minuscule amount of evidence for us. He's got a lot. Well, I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. Check out, if you've been missing it, our Jesus 101 series on the faith explained. It's kind of getting Jesus right. What do we need to know to really buttress our faith in him and be able to share it with others? Our faith is definitely under attack and we've got to get constant formation to make sure we've got it right. Helps us to be encouraged and confident in our faith as well. So check out the Faith Explained series and all of our archived programs on the relevant radio app. Patrick Alock produced sitting in for Jim Schaefer. Miranda Sinaceros took your phone calls today. Stay tuned for Timory and Father with the Rosary. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.